Welcome to Vibe with Love, the podcast that has the intention of delivering pure love and understanding of life's journey. All of this to support personal growth, development, and ultimately healing. My name is Sharon and I am your host of Vibe with Love. I am a Reiki master. I practice Kundalini Reiki, Crystal Reiki, Golden Light Reiki. I'm an intuitive empath. I'm a mother, a daughter, a lover, and a friend. All of these good things brought to you with so much love. Thank you so much for joining Vibe with Love on episode six. It has been interesting, to say at least, to be able to deliver this personal journey of mine, one that is obviously emotional and has brought up a lot of different questions, concerns from people, also just clarity, clarity, even for myself going through this has been just powerful for even my own internal healing, be able to deliver this, this life journey of mine, this truth is just incredible. And I thank you so much for joining me on this journey. And I hope that you are connecting and growing from all of this as well, because that is the the true intention is that connection of all of us, the truth of the lives that we live and every day that we are a part of, that we are afraid of, but is truth. So one thing that has been coming up quite a bit and some of the questions that I had or some of the feedback that I received from my last podcast, which was about my first marriage and a divorce and then a friend of mine, a very good friend that actually passed away, was people feeling sorry for me or saying, I'm sorry that you went through that and really connecting um, in the dark side of of the story and the journey. But I want to really redirect that. It's important for us to understand that this podcast is not about connecting into pain and injuries and staying there. It's about explaining that we all have these scenarios and situations different for everybody, but we all have them. We go through them. The reason we go through them is for growth and our karmic lessons, if you will, and our development of our future and the truth and the understanding and the knowing of this lifetime. To be able to help us ascend to where we need to be in the future, in future lives, in future times, if you will. So I wanna just remind us that this is not a podcast or a situation as we all share our stories for us to feel sorry or to feel in sorrow or to feel pain. It is really to feel the empowerment to gain the understanding and the connection of truth. I'm not a victim. I never have been and I never will be. Life has had many ups and downs for me as it is, as it has for many of us, as it has for you. And that's okay. But I take those down times and those valleys, if you will, as growth, as a truth. And now it's really as I developed in my spiritual journey, understanding that those were, and I'm going to call it again, karmic lessons that I brought into this lifetime for me to learn. I also understand clearly the power of manifestation. And I also understand very clearly the truth of divine order. See, those are things I talk about all the time. And I want to dive into that before we begin the next part of our journey. It's important, especially in this next part of my journey for us to understand these things. So one of the things that people had 
mentioned or, or reached out and said, oh, I feel sorry your husband cheated on you. And no. So he, here's the reality. My husband, Rico, at that time, although many things, and I even said in my first podcast, I chose to believe that woman that told me that he cheated because it, it validated the story that I had in my head. He never admitted to that. He never said, yes, Sharon, I was with other women. And it doesn't matter. Whether he did or he didn't, it doesn't matter. Because my life and his life are exactly where they're supposed to be through divine order. I'm so grateful for having had Rico in my life in that way. I'm so grateful for that time. And I'm so grateful of the understanding that without that time, we wouldn't have Isabel in this world. See, there's no other, there's no other two people in this world that could have brought that beautiful soul into this world. She chose us to be her parents. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for him. And I'm grateful for the strength and the understanding and the connection to that time in my life through for my karmic lessons, if you will, or for uh, my development in my spiritual path. Nothing to feel sorry about. Chico, my beautiful friend, one of the loves of my lives for sure that passed away. What was that lesson? Do I miss him in physical? Absolutely. The lesson the big lesson was to be grateful and honor the time that we have because we never know how long that time is going to be. And I'm grateful for that lesson and that time that I had. So let's now talk about manifestation. So manifestation, what does that mean? It's a, it's a term that, that's used so often and many of us just don't truly understand what that means. And, and really what manifestation is, is making a reality of the thoughts that we have inside, is creating our future based on the truths and the beliefs that we have inside. We manifest, we create, and we validate things. Whether we like it or not, it's a truth. So as I talk about manifestations, I want to talk about that with the next part of my journey because I clearly manifested some darkness into my life based on the truths that I had been telling myself. Again, all in divine order, because if this next part of my journey had not happened, I certainly wouldn't be who I am today. But again, I want to make sure that I premise this part of my journey with I am not a victim. Things happened in my life at that time that were very dark and deep, but they were there and they happened because they needed to. So after my beautiful, amazing and loving friend Chico passed away, I really dove into church because obviously there was a message from God at that, in that moment to, to warn me of what was to happen. And it was the connection with God. If, if I had not been to church that day and I received that message in another place, I don't know what the reaction would have been. I wouldn't have had the calm or the power of that energy inside of me in that moment. It, it, it's just a, a beautiful thing. So as I moved forward, it, it, I kept going to church and Isabel kept going to Sunday school. And we absolutely loved this church that we were going to. And I was able to sing every Sunday and Wednesday. Oh, it was amazing to be able to connect to 
the power and the energy and the spirit of universe, God, life force energy, what you want to call it through music and in that space was just amazing. And we went fairly regularly. I mean, it was definitely every week we went and many weeks we went to the Monday and Wednesday service consistently. I also continued to be able to release energies and, and to feel that connection to that power through dance. I continued to go dancing and wanted to keep Chico's memory alive, of course, and, and being on that dance floor certainly did that for me at that time. And I definitely dove into my career and I definitely was all about my baby girl, knowing that, you know, you just don't know a time is so precious. So that's, that was my life. It was church. It was work. It was music and release and dance. And of course, my daughter, number one priority in everything that I did. And my career really took off at that time. I was running a lot of the mid-Atlantic area for my company. And then I was asked to take over Georgia our Atlanta market in specific, that market for the company at that time that I worked for aerosols wasn't doing too well. And I gladly said yes for the growth of my career and for financial gain and, you know, just growing. It just helped myself and my daughter and it made sure that we were in a good place, but it was definitely a lot of hard work and it was definitely a lot of time. So that wasn't fun, not being around her at certain times, having to travel for work and knowing that I was taking this new territory meant that I was going to be traveling just a little bit more. So, so grateful for my family for being there for me and helping me with Isabel during that time of, of that, uh, a lot of travel for my job. So I took over Atlanta. And at that time, when they asked me to take over that market, I had been on the road quite a bit. And so knowing that I was going into another market that needed a lot of repair, I had to really brace myself for the amount of time that it was going to take to fix that and the time that it would take me away from home, from my Isabel. So that first week that I was in Atlanta was really, really tough. I walked into these stores that were not good and intuitively I knew, whew, some bad things were happening in these locations. There was definitely a lot of theft. I could feel it. I could feel the negative energy when I, when I went into those stores. So it was a very heavy, heavy week, knowing that there was a lot to do, a lot of work to be done, and a lot of time that was going to be need, needed to be spent in that market. And, and again, that made me know that I was going to be away from my, my little girl more than I wanted to be. So as I was leaving or planning to leave uh, to go home, it was a Friday night and it was late and I had to drop my rental car off in the local area. My flight was on a Saturday morning and I had to take the train from the local area that I was to the airport. So I went to my hotel and I had asked the taxi driver or the shuttle driver to follow me to the place that I had rented the vehicle so that I could go back to my hotel. And I was exhausted. So my sense of direction at that time was not great. And if you know Atlanta at all, there's like every road is either Peachtree, Dunwoody or Ashford. <laughs> especially in that perimeter area that I was in. So I was definitely turned around because all the road names were very, very much the same. And the shuttle driver did not know where this rental car place was in the strip center. Well, as you can imagine, I was just exhausted and frustrated and emotional. And so I told the, the driver just to go, just to, to go and to leave me and I would figure it out myself. And I did <laughs> about, I don't know, 45 seconds after that shuttle driver pulled away from me, I looked to my left and there's the road, Ashford Dunwoody. I said, oh my goodness. So I turned into the shopping center where the enterprise car rental place was. And it was, 
it was just heaven that I was there, but I was so overwhelmed with emotion at that time. I just broke down in tears. <laughs> I mean, I cried like a little baby in that parking lot of that shopping center. Um, and, uh, then I knew that I needed to find my way back to my hotel. So there was a restaurant, a steakhouse, a chop house that was in that center. So I said, well, I'll just go in and I'll get a drink and, uh, I will get a meal and then I will get a taxi cab back to my hotel. So I walked into the bar area and I sat down and at that time, yucky, I know I was a smoker. And at that time you could smoke in the bars. So I was sitting at the bar, had puffy eyes from crying, puffy red face, and I'm digging in my purse, looking for a cigarette, pull a cigarette out. And I look up cigarette in my hand and I look up and this gorgeous man, I mean, just breathtaking model man <laughs> looked back at me and we just locked eyes and it was like fireworks, literally. He literally took a deep breath and leaned back. I'll never forget what happened in that moment when I watched him make that move. And I just, I felt the same way. I was just still, and we just stared at each other for 15 seconds easy. And of course I had the cigarette in my hand. He says in his little Southern sweet accent, a lady never lights her own cigarette. <laughs> wow. That was pretty powerful. And that moment was powerful. It was magical. And, and for just a short seconds, it was like he and I were the only ones in that space. It was like he and I were the only ones in the world. It's hard to describe that feeling, but it was amazing. So I stayed. <laughs> I stayed at the bar all night while he worked. He was the bartender and we talked and we laughed and it was like we knew each other. He was just so charismatic and so powerful in his own way and magical. And he had me wrapped instantly, literally instantly. I was wrapped around his little finger <laughs> with his little Southern accent. So I stayed there all night and we just had that time together. And of course I had to leave the next day. And it was hard saying goodbye to him. And it was hard for him to say goodbye to me. At least that's what he said. And that's what it felt like. So I took my flight back to Maryland and I was just overwhelmed and happy. All that sadness, all that sorrow, all that frustration in that moment that I couldn't find that damn shopping center. And, and it was all for what it was supposed to be. Hey, there was my new fairy tale. My love at first sight. <laughs> my Southern gentleman. So our romance continued distance wise. I had to be in Atlanta quite a bit, like I said, cause the market was pretty bad. It needed a lot of repair. The stores needed a lot of work. So I was there quite a bit and I was able to see him and our relationship developed pretty quickly. And we were in love. We told each other, we loved each other and we just knew we wanted to be together. So after about a year of that, long distance relationship, he decided to move to Maryland. But prior to that, I wanted to make sure that he met my family. And of course, Isabel, I needed to make sure that he, my daughter would approve of him. So he did come for a visit and my family loved him. 
He was just charismatic, as I said, and everybody loved him, including Isabel. Isabel met him and just, they were like thick sleeves instantly. It was like a fairy tale. So he was moving back, and, and as I said, he was a bartender at a bar. He was a, actually a manager, ended up being the manager of the restaurant bar. And he was, you know, late nights, and it was, you know, hard for us to talk when I was away. And so our connection was very powerful, but there was those moments that I just didn't, I just didn't feel right. I felt unsettled, like there might be something happening. And, but I knew, like, in the back of my head, I was this jealousy and this insecurities that I had had because of what I was. And, and I was able to recognize that then. So I really fought that, those feelings of jealousy or insecurities with him. I just kept telling myself, put those away. He loved you. You love him. It was just amazing. We were meant to be. So then, like, as I said, he decided to move to Maryland. And I went to Atlanta and we rented a U-Haul and we were going to drive his things back north to move in with Izzy and I. And when I was getting down there, I, something wasn't right. And I got really, really, really nervous, almost nauseous. I remember feeling just sick to my stomach and I, I was questioning if this was the right decision and I wasn't sure. And then there was like these flashes of the times when I would try to call him and reach him during those periods and I couldn't and I just didn't feel right, but I fought them. I fought that feeling. I fought that intuition. Was it the jealousy? Was it the insecurity? Was it me? Was I telling myself stories? This nudge didn't feel right. Something wasn't right. But I wanted to believe that we were meant to be. And this was my fairy tale. And that's what I believed. So he moved. He moved in with Isabel and I right away. And it was just awesome. We just got along so well. I was traveling a lot for work. I was gone a lot, but relationships seemed to just be amazing. There was really no, no red flags at that time other than he drank a lot. And I knew that because, you know, he worked at the bar. He was a bartender and I, it just, you know, was, came along for the ride, I guess. And, uh, it was just what he did. So, and I accepted that because that's what some people do, right? I grew up, my father likes his drinks, my, you know, everybody, enjoys them every once in a while. So I didn't think it was that big of a deal during that time. So he asked me to marry him. One day I got, I came home from a trip from work and it was a night that Isabel was with her dad and he got down on one knee, no ring or anything. Just, he just got down on one knee and took my hand and he asked me to marry him. He said he wanted me to be his wife. Of course, I said yes. <laughs> Here it was, my fairy tale. Now, during this time, I was finding out a lot of things about him, about his past. Living together, you know, there's things that just come out or comments that are made or remembrances of the past that, you know, just things kept coming up and it was unsettling. But again, I just kept putting them away and I just kept accepting them as his past. Also, some of the things that he told me, it just, I accepted it because I loved him and it didn't matter to me. I just wanted this life of joy of being married. I wanted to have more children desperately. Uh, I wanted that so much. So I just put those feelings aside and then he asked me to marry him. And it was interesting because it was really during a, a period I remember like I was really at a, a lull of my emotion where I was like, oh, something's not right. And then he came in with that. So oof, 
poof, it went away. <laughs> he was good, let me tell you. <laughs> he was very intuitive himself, this man, and very manipulative. And he knew how to make things happen just the way that he wanted all the time. So we moved. Uh, we got married. We, we got married at a little wedding chapel. It was just a small little ceremony with just my family and a few friends. We had a little reception at my mom's, just a little cake with us there. It was nothing big, no major wedding or anything like that. We just wanted to be married. And then we bought a house, or I, I bought a house. I bought the home. I was working full time. I was the, the breadwinner of the family. He worked as well, but I was really the, the backbone of the family. So I purchased this home for us, for our family. And we lived in this little neighborhood. It was just the cutest little thing. It was so sweet. Isabel, we lived in an area, that, uh, just a little street that had a cul-de-sac, so it was safe for the kids. It was just a really awesome family neighborhood. I made friends right away with the neighbors. There was one named Dawn that lived across the street. She had a daughter that was very close to Isabel's age. They became fast friends. It was incredible. Every Monday, I've always worked from home on Mondays, and every Monday the kids knew in the neighborhood that I would have homework parties. So they would come to my house, and I would bake cookies, and we would do homework together, and sometimes some would stay for dinner. And on the weekends, the kids were always over. It was, it was just the happiest, awesome neighborhood and families and friends. And we were just always all together my house. Literally, I wouldn't knock my front door. People would, neighbors would just come in, especially Dawn. She would come in all the time, anytime she wanted. And, you know, it was just, it was just felt good. And I thought everything was great. I was traveling a lot for work at that time, like a lot, a lot. I had taken over the Florida market. I had all of the Southeast and then I got promoted to regional manager which was pretty incredible <laughs> at that age. It was, it, was a, it was a feat and it was amazing. And I was so proud of myself and I was working my butt off and I was traveling a lot. And so that made me sad because I wanted to be home with my family. Of course, my daughter and my husband and this picture perfect thing that I thought that I had, but I was gone so much. I didn't have time to really enjoy it except the weekends. And on the weekends, like I said, my door was open. So the neighbors were always in my house and coming and going. So it was just, uh, it was a very amazing time and sad time and just a mixed time and one that was filled with alcohol, let me tell you. Stacy definitely started to drink a lot. That was my husband's name, Stacy. He was drinking a lot and I would come home and the first thing he would do was bake me a tumbler of cranberry and vodka and hand it to me and I would have my drink with him and let me tell you, I was asleep by nine o'clock. That's just kind of how it went. and. I didn't recognize that, but I did recognize something wasn't right in the home. Like I, I knew something wasn't right. We were going to church less and less. The neighbors were more at the house. Stacy, I kept having these feelings that he wasn't telling me certain things. It just, it was not right. And one day my, my front neighbor, Dawn, she, she comes across the street to see me and she sits on my front porch and she starts to cry. And I, I didn't understand. And I said, what's wrong? And she says, I'm pregnant. And I said, well, that's wonderful. She had her, her boyfriend that lived in her home with her. And said, that's awesome. Why are you sad? And I couldn't understand why she was so upset and why she was telling me. Because we were friends. But for me to be one of the first people she told that to, is, 
it was strange, but I just accepted it and it was okay. I would help her. She was going to have a baby. I wanted to have a baby myself so bad. So having a baby in the neighborhood was really cool and exciting, I thought. So Dawn had her baby and she asked me to be the godmother and asked my husband to be the godfather. And that little sweet little baby was sleeping in my bed when she was three weeks old. She let me babysit her overnight. It was kind of awesome, but strange at the same time. Who would let their three week old baby stay the night? But we figured out why later, huh? So I was getting really tired of traveling so much and I was getting a little burnt out and I was just tired. I was just tired. My whole body energetically was just feeling tired. I just wanted to be home and spend time with my family. And my husband was drinking a little bit too much and was getting flirty and things again were getting weird, but I let it go. One day I was letting it go because I wanted our life to be perfect. I wanted to have this fairy tale. I wanted to be married and I didn't want to believe or really own the things that were happening around me that I knew that I needed to focus on, that I needed to trust, but I just didn't want to. You ever done that? You ever have something so not right and you just don't want to listen to it and you push it aside and you push it aside and you push it aside and then all of a sudden it blows up in your face? Has that ever happened to you? Because you didn't listen to your intuition. You didn't trust yourself. Whew. Yeah, you know how it feels, I'm sure. So it was a Monday night or Tuesday. I can't remember the night of the week. But I know that we were watching American Idol. We were in our basements watching American Idol and the doorbell rings. And I went upstairs and it was Dawn at my door and she asked to speak to me. So I had my tumbler of cranberry vodka that my husband had made and left him and his bell in the basement watching American Idol. And I get in the car and I'm speaking to Dawn and she starts to cry and she says, I have something really terrible to tell you. And I said, what? And she said, my daughter, her daughter, told her that Stacy had touched her and told her my husband had touched her inappropriately. And she's crying and I'm in shock. She might've been 12 or 13 years old. And I started shaking and I, and I said, how do you know? And she said, she told her, and she said that there was another friend that told her the same thing around the same age. Well, I freaked out. <laughs> what do you mean? I said, why, why are you telling me this? Why, why, why are you telling me this? My instincts just kicked in. I'm like, I'm a mother of a daughter. I would never go to somebody. I would call the police. What are you doing? Get me home. This man is in the basement with my daughter. What are you talking about? Get me home. Get me home. And I got home and I ran downstairs as fast as I could. And I yelled for Isabel to go across the street to Dawn's house. And I confronted this man and I I just knew they was they were telling, I don't know, I just knew they were telling the truth, even though I didn't want to believe that it was the truth. So I knew something wasn't right. I did, it was, it was this emotion that I can't even begin to explain how it felt. And he jumped up and I punched him in the face. I did. I, I did. It's the truth. I did. And I ran upstairs and I called the police. I called the police. I called the police because that's what you do when you think somebody has done something to your child. You call the police. So I did. 
I called the police and I, it was, I ran across the street where my daughter was and I sat on the floor and everything else was a blur. I know that I called my dad to come get me and to get Isabel and to get my dogs. And I just had to get out of there. It was unbelievable. It was undescribable. So everything happened pretty rapidly at that point. I did call the police, charges were filed, and the investigation started. I moved out of the house immediately with Isabel. I sold the house literally within 30 days. Izzy and I rented a, I rented a townhouse for Isabel and I and my dogs and all of the trials ensued. And of course, the big question, did something happen to Isabel, to my beautiful baby girl that I left alone with this monster, this manipulative monster? Well, we did everything we needed to do. Obviously, we took her to the doctor and we went to see a psychiatrist and just wanted to make sure that everything was okay and nothing happened. They did not believe that anything happened with Isabel with him. They said that some, oftentimes with people like this, if they really, they don't necessarily do it with, to their own children. They will look to outside, especially, you know, somebody that they, they look to as their child. And he did look at Isabel in that way. And they didn't believe, although Isabel and Isabel was younger than these girls, these other girls had been developing a little bit into their pubescent age and Isabel was not. So nothing had happened to her except emotionally. <laughs> imagine, imagine being 10 years old and going through that nine, nine, she was nine. It was scary. It was a scary time and the darkness of that man came out and the truth came out and he threatened my life. He said, if you couldn't be with me, nobody would. I found out later that the reason that Dawn had come crying across the street is because that baby could have been potentially his. This man was the gigolo of the neighborhood and that's why the neighbors loved us so damn much. <laughs> the stories that I found out of the, the time that I was gone traveling and the women and all of those things that I was so afraid of, those insecurities that I had, that being cheated on, it really did happen. I'll talk about manifestation. That was the truth that I told myself, and it may not have happened with my first husband, but it certainly did with my second. It was insane. He was convicted. He was convicted on the charges, and he was sent to jail. Of course, they divorced immediately. And Izzy and I moved again, closer to my family. So the lessons, the karmic lessons and the manifestations and the divine order of life, these things happen. I want to say it again, I'm not a victim. Isabel's not a victim. Those little girls were in that situation, of course, but... They also are, are hopefully have learned and healed and it was a part of their journey in this lifetime, a horrible journey, one that I for so long felt so guilty about just knowing that I brought this man to Maryland. The thought that it was my decision of loving him that brought him into these, these people's lives was horrible. And I sat in that for a very long time. 
I sat in that pain and that place for a very, very long time. But the truth is I, I didn't know that he would do anything like that. I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't, he was so manipulative. I just didn't listen to myself. I, I would never, ever, 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 ever allow darkness into anybody's life if I knew it, not in that way. It was horrible. So, but again, it's a part of the journey. It's a part of the lessons. It was a big, big part of my journey at that time, especially when it came to my spirituality. Because after that happened, that's when I knew that I had to listen to myself, to the messages that were coming in. I had to, and I had to heal because I was so broken and in pieces that if I didn't, I would have died. Like I would have just been gone. And I'm gonna tell you that if it wasn't for the light and the strength and the energy of my daughter, who knows? Because I had to be strong and I had to get through that. And I had to show her that everything was gonna be okay in life. I had to. And she was so strong and such this powerful light. Just, just amazing. Just amazing. So I then found this cute little store called The Turning Wheel. And in my next episode, that's when we're going to really dive into the connection to my psychic intuitive abilities, even mediumship, knowing, and the gifts of healing. I thank you so much for taking your time to listen to this podcast. I want and hope and pray that you are learning and growing and developing from this personal journey of mine, connecting to that, connecting to that knowing, connecting to those moments in your own way, in your own lifetime. I send this podcast to you with so much love and honor and vulnerability because I know that it's what's needed. I know that this truth is what's needed for all of us, for us to help raise the vibrations of this earth to help the ascension happen for all of us. So thank you so much. I'm sending you again all so much love. Please be strong. Please be safe. And please always, always, always stay with love. <laughs>